This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Business Lens, broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson. This is the show where we get the best insider perspective on earth on everything having to do with the economy, markets, business, stuff in the world. Chris Hill, the host of Motley Fool Money, the number one stock investing radio show in America, joins us. And uh, it's it's our privilege. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Happy November. Is it though? Is it? I'll tell well, you who it's not happy for. Twitter shareholders, or, or or there are no such things anymore. Could you explain to um like a regular mortal like me what exactly happened from a business standpoint? Like Twitter's not a company that we can invest in anymore. What what's happening? So what's happening is Elon Musk finally went ahead and bought Twitter and effectively took it private. And this is something that we see in other ways in business where. Uh, sometimes uh, a company will buy another company. And uh, so Slack, which is an uh, online messaging platform that uh, listeners may be familiar with, that was a standalone public company until it got bought by Salesforce.com. And so effectively, Salesforce took Slack off of the public market. So you can't be a Slack shareholder anymore because it now belongs to Salesforce. Uh, we've seen this with uh, restaurants near and dear uh, to my taste buds and near and dear to you locally, Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin' used to be a public company. You could be a shareholder. And then it was acquired by a private equity firm and it is uh, it was taken off the public markets. Elon Musk, wealthiest person on the planet, decided he really liked Twitter and wanted to have it for his very own. So it is no longer a public company. Shareholders got a buyout price. And if you were a Twitter shareholder in 2022, congratulations, you did really well in a year in which the market is down because shares of Twitter year to date because of Elon Musk buying it finished up about 25% from the beginning of the year to last week when he took it private. So it was good. Now, if you're a Tesla shareholder, which is a much larger company that Elon Musk runs, it's been a terrible year for you. And I'm not a shareholder of either of those companies, but while this whole drama between Elon Musk and Twitter has been playing out, I have thought to myself on occasion, how do Tesla shareholders feel about this? Because they essentially have an absentee leader who's spending all of his time with this new toy, Twitter, and he's not paying attention to the company he should be running. And shares of of Tesla are down more than 40% year to date. I know how they feel. They were in a steady relationship with a boyfriend. He was a little weird, a little quirky. All of a sudden he says, you know, it'd be great. I'd like to open up this relationship. And then <laughs> he starts seeing this fancy new partner. And all of a sudden they're exclusive. As a matter of fact, they're getting married and they're moving to Aruba. You're never going to see them again. Um, fantastic. You you must 
you must feel awesome about that. Um, <laughs> well, that's really interesting. I mean, I, I guess I, I hadn't really followed this. So from an investor standpoint, first of all, when you get a massive capital gains bill at the end of the year, if you are a Twitter shareholder, which I assume you will, if if your value went up 25% and then you got bought out, um, sorry, sorry, that that's that's not uh, anyone in Washington, D.C.'s fault. That is that. Thank you, Elon. Um, I, so so the markets are sort of reacting to this basically in terms of, you know, it's 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 sort of a zero sum like you're you know, you're up if you're Twitter, you're you're down if you're if you're part of Tesla. What about the big picture? All right. Enough. Enough. Musk. Um, where, where do we stand on the big picture? I, I think this is a really big week for the market uh, for reasons that aren't necessarily about earnings, although we are in the thick of earnings season. We've got the Federal Reserve meeting this week. The meeting starts today. On Wednesday afternoon, we'll get an announcement from the Fed, and everyone is expecting a rate hike of some sort, probably three quarters of a percent again. Um, I think more importantly, or I, I guess I should say as importantly as whatever the rate hike is going to be, is whatever messaging comes out about the Fed that telegraphs what the Fed is thinking in terms of a potential rate hike in December and then into early 2023. And then at the end of the week, we're going to uh, get the jobs report for October. And, you know, we, we kicked off this conversation. I said, happy November. And you're like, is it? And I, you know, and I thought to myself, well, it, we're coming off a good month for the stock market. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was up, I believe, 14 points, uh, 14% in uh, the month of October, which is the most it's gained in a single month in decades. And the, is, it, as, is it worth me asking why? I mean, do we ever really know why? I, I, I think part of it is, you know, the, the Dow, it's funny because the Dow Jones Industrial Average gets mentioned a lot, but in terms of the stock market itself, it's not as important. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is, a, is a, a, an index that is based on 30, 30 stocks. The S&P 500, as the name would suggest, is based on 500 stocks. So the S&P 500 is a more important index when we talk about how the market does. We're usually referring to how the S&P 500 has done. So, uh, but it doesn't mean we're rooting against the Dow Jones Industrial Average. There are some big important companies that are in that index. And the S&P 500 was up about four and a half percent. So October was a good month. If November is as good a month for investors as October was, I will absolutely take it. So, it sounds like we're kind of in a waiting to exhale or inhale, depending yeah. on you know your your state of mind um, and and what you prefer in those uh, regards. Um, and we're really kind of I, it it feels sort of like a pivot point. The other thing that you always remind our listeners to watch out for is how retailers are kind of prepping for the big holiday season, how the hiring crunch is going. What are you seeing in terms of macro signs in that regard? Uh, we, we last checked in on that around September. Is is it auguring good things, bad things? I think it continues to be a good holiday season for consumers because I think a lot of retailers continue to deal with inventory challenges. They are looking to move merchandise. And if you're willing to hunt around, particularly for larger ticket items, you're absolutely going to find some deals out there, uh, particularly if you need major appliances or, or maybe a new TV or something like that. Uh, there, there are absolutely going to be deals out there. I think for the retailers themselves, the inventory picture is getting a little bit better. 
the data that we're seeing with regards to supply chains and shipping, particularly uh, when you look at, and this, this is an investing nerd thing, when you look at um, data regarding the traffic in West Coast ports, it's looking a lot better, a lot. It's basically just think of it as traffic. And in 2021, there was a huge traffic jam uh, in, in ports uh, off the coast of California. And uh, traffic's moving a lot better right now. So that, that bodes well for supply chain issues. And I, I, I think it'll continue to take some time to clear up, but hopefully the major retailers are um, in good shape for the holiday season, or at least in as good a shape as they could be. So if I put it all together, look, what's usually most on my mind is sort of the political angle on this. And if you are sitting in the White House, you've got to be thinking to yourself, wait a second, supply lines are getting unsnarled, which is probably the biggest contributor to inflation, meaning maybe inflation is finally going to be going back down in the next couple of months, just in time to be after the midterm elections. That's just, that's great. That's that's just great. Um, all right. Well, let's, uh, on that happy note, um, you wanted to talk a little bit about big tech. We always like to talk about it on this show because, um, hey, I mean, it's it's endlessly interesting. It's like a soap opera and uh, it's a huge part of our economy. What's going on in big tech? So as I mentioned, we are in the thick of earnings season. And last week we got the latest earning results from the biggest tech companies out there, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, or as it's actually known, Meta Platforms, and Google, as it's actually known, Alphabet. And across the board, Matt, with the exception of Apple, it was a rough set of earnings reports, really for different reasons. I think in the case of Alphabet, uh, they were seeing uh, some weakness in advertising, which really isn't all that surprising when you think about how uh, businesses across the board are stealing themselves for the potential of a recession. Uh, And one of the easiest levers to pull if you're a business is what you spend on marketing. That's a, that's a situation where you can say, all right, I'm going to pull back on this. So we, we saw that affecting Facebook. We saw that affecting Google. The other thing with Facebook is Mark Zuckerberg has made it very clear that he is investing billions and billions of dollars to build the metaverse. And right now, those investments are not paying off. And I think there are people on Wall Street who would love it if he would stop doing that, if he would just pull it back a little bit. Um, but he doesn't appear to be doing that. So shares of, of uh, Meta Platforms fell 20%. I mean, the stock fell to its lowest point since 2016. So that's, that's a pretty rough fall uh, for that former high flyer. Um, last week, it got to the point where there were companies or there, there, were, there were people who were sort of doing the calculation of, of uh, how Facebook started out a year ago as a trillion dollar company. And now looking at with this fall, what, what companies are bigger than meta platforms now? And it's like, oh, Home Depot is actually bigger than meta platforms now, which, you know, as a Home Depot shareholder, I'm, I'm okay with that. I do feel a little bit like NoHo Hank responding to this, like, oh no, (laughs) that is terrible. I I really, I, I, it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy, but just so I understand sort of what the market is telling Zuck here, are they basically saying, hey, what would you say our core business model is here? And how about we focus on that? 
I think what the market, you know, because it, it, it's a great question because you can look at the money that Zuckerberg is spending, investing in the metaverse, and you can very easily say, well, what if he just shut it off altogether? Ford Motor came out last week, and as part of their earnings announcement, uh, their earnings report, uh, the CEO announced that Ford Motor, which had spent about $2.5 billion investing in and on uh, an uh, AI driving, autonomous driving initiative, uh, as part of, it wasn't solely Ford Motor, but it was, it was sort of a group project, essentially. And the CEO came out and said, we're not doing this anymore. And Ford Motor got a positive reaction to that announcement where they just said, we're not doing this anymore. This is too far down the road, no pun intended. Um, autonomous driving is so far, we are so far away from it. Here at Ford Motor, we're going to focus on things that are more in the here and now and more in the near future. So electric vehicles and, and uh, hybrid vehicles, that sort of thing. So you can look at meta platforms and say, what if Mark Zuckerberg came out and announced, we've invested billions of dollars in the metaverse and we're just gonna stop. I think that would help a little. I don't think it would completely write the course. And to go back to what I was saying about Google, you know, that's, that's you know, Facebook's bread and butter is advertising. They do a great job of that. They do a great job on Instagram with that. And so the pullback in advertising has affected them as well. Um, but I, I, I think what people would rather see is a more measured approach, maybe some proof of concept, make smaller investments into the metaverse and sort of prove out that this is going to work. Um, uh, one of our analysts um, uh, told me this was not on the podcast. This was just sort of in the office. He believes Mark Zuckerberg is uh, making these investments based off of something that happened 10 years ago, which was Facebook as a business, right before it went public, the biggest financial question facing the company was how the company was making no money, zero revenue was coming from mobile advertising. And there were serious questions when they went public. Can they do this? Can they scale up mobile advertising? Uh, they did. They have. They've done a great job with it. But this analyst was telling me, I think Zuckerberg remembers how that felt, remembers how they were very late to the game on mobile. And he has decided we are not going to be late to the game on the metaverse. Mm, that's, that's actually really fascinating. And I mean, first of all, Thank you for bringing that Ford announcement to my attention because my daughter's about to engage in a school debate about whether autonomous vehicles are safe. And uh, your announcement from Ford is something that I would like to add to her fact stream. I also can't believe what's about to come out of my mouth. I can't believe it. I might actually be about to sort of kind of defend Zuckerberg on this. I, I Maybe I'm really wrong about this. In fact, I know I must be because I'm taking Mark Zuckerberg's side, but I could almost see inside that twisted mind of his to make an argument that if your core business is advertising and if you're actually losing members on Facebook, which they did recently for the first time in history, and if to some degree your lunch is getting eaten by TikTok, and 
you see other platforms like YouTube kind of scrambling to get in on what TikTok does and where the energy is there. And you're really losing in some critical demographics, which is your whole growth market, which is, you know, the young people, which is why you were investing in things like Instagram and why you were pushing so hard to get younger kids hooked on Facebook, as shown by the Facebook whistleblower, Francis Haugen. If all of these things are going on, you might be thinking to yourself, you know what? I want to adopt a General MacArthur island hopping strategy and not try to win on every single island. The island that we're on now is shrinking. We cannot stay here. Maybe we've got to weather all of this and just get onto the next island. And we have to make that next island real. We have to make it a thing. We have to create the future that we're going to occupy because we're toast in the one that we're in long-term Chris Hill, am I crazy? Am I crazy? No, I don't think you're crazy. I, I absolutely think that's part of it. Part of the challenge that Zuckerberg faces is to go back to the mobile advertising for a second. At the, at the time, uh, everyone was right. Facebook was late to mobile advertising. They did a great job of catching up and catching up pretty quickly. I think quicker than some people thought they would. But it's important to understand that there was no one who was arguing against mobile advertising. There was no one who was saying, this is not going to be a thing. In the case of the metaverse, you have large influential companies who are being pretty vocal that they, they do not believe that this is a thing and that's why they are not investing in it. Apple being one of them, uh, Snap being another. And uh, so in, in a sense, that makes what Zuckerberg is doing even more challenging is the fact that he's making these investments at a time when not just competitors are saying this is not going to be a thing. There are smart analysts on Wall Street who are saying either this is not going to be a thing or this is not going to be nearly as big as you think it is. This is going to be a niche thing. No one is going to put on a headset and spend eight hours a day in the metaverse. And only the future will tell us what's actually going to happen. Fascinating. And look, while we're psychoanalyzing companies and their and their leadership in terms of business model and the ground they're trying to occupy, the islands they're trying to rest on, um, could you unpack what's going on with Amazon? They just raised prices for Prime and they're making a play in music? So they, they do have a music service that you can subscribe to. It's called Amazon Unlimited. But if you're an Amazon Prime member like I am, and you don't want to pay for an additional music service, uh, you just uh, get access to their basic music service. So Amazon came out this morning, actually, and announced that they are expanding their ad-free music library, which I appreciate. And it's a signal that Amazon has not forgotten uh, their North Star, which is Amazon Prime, and making Prime a service that has so many great offerings to it that it, they want to make it essentially a no-brainer. They want to make it so that people say, yes, this is absolutely worth the money. As you said, they increased prices this year from $119 a year to 139 they don't raise prices that often, but when they do, it, it's, it's a, a moment when people can say, well, wait a minute, do I want to keep paying this? So I think it's smart for them to come out, remind people of Amazon Music to say we're expanding the library. The, the other announcement they made, which had me kind of scratching my head, was 
you and I have talked about their push into live sports and this year in a very big way with Thursday night football. Amazon Prime is the only place you can watch Thursday night football games. And they also announced this morning that they are going to start having 12 hours of sports talk programming on Amazon Prime TV starting today. And I looked at their lineup. I'm, I'm not familiar with any of the hosts that, um, who are hosting these shows, which tells me that they're probably not commanding huge salaries. I think, let me put it this way, Matt, and I'm, I'm a fan of Amazon as a company. I am a shareholder. Uh, I, I think the company makes more smart moves than done moves. What surprises me about this move is how big into the programming they got. It's not that they came out and said, we're going to have a morning sports talk show or an afternoon sports talk. They came out with 12 hours. Um, If you had told me they were going to start sports talk programming, how do you think they're going to do it? I would have guessed that they would have built it around the sports that they have bought the rights to. So I would have said, oh, they're going to have a Thursday afternoon show starting at four o'clock. They're going to have four hours of Thursday night football lead in. No, they're just going with general sports talk 12 hours a day and we'll see how it goes. That's yeah. I would have, I would have guessed do what they did with Thursday night football. You know how they poached Al Michaels poach a big name, go get Mike Greenberg from ESPN and build a show around him or, Someone else who people find less annoying. I don't know. Apparently, a lot of people <laughs> find Mike Greenberg annoying. I think he's fine. I, I think he's totally fine. But I, I would, I would have done that. Like, do a do a morning show to to compete. I anyway. It's it's interesting, and I I it just this whole move, the kind of the mission creep. It's not really mission creep. It's just bit by bit, <clears throat> they're doing what you just outlined, which is they're making Prime indispensable. They're making Amazon indispensable. They're making it almost a utility. I have long played with the idea. I can't believe I'm going to talk about this on air, but whatever. Uh, I'll stake my intellectual claim to it. I think that there's a possibility that in the future, certain mega global corporations will be more important than nation states to us. We will get our jobs from them. We will work for them. We will get our health care from them. If Amazon's healthcare initiative ever pans out, we will get our stuff, as George Carlin would say, all of our stuff from them, our entertainment, our physical goods. And lo and behold, you will care more about what Amazon has to say about how you live your life than your government. That is, uh, do I sound like an unhinged maniac here? I, I think I do. All right. No, I, no, you, no? You, you, you sound like someone who has seen the movie Wally a bunch of times in the far future. By and large. Where yes. by and large is the most important entity on planet Earth. It is a corporation. Yes. You know, uh, thank you for putting that together for me. Yes. Amazon is trying the by and large model and they might pull this off. All right. Let's, let's, let's do one more uh, before I let you go. Um, You, Chris Hill, spend some time with, with young people um, to talk about investing. This happens to align with an episode, two episodes, a two-parter that I just put out with Mike Morton, uh, personal financial advisor last week on teaching your kids about investing and saving and charitable giving and managing their money. What did you learn? 
So I graduated from Boston College in 1990. I got the chance to go back to my alma mater and speak to the Boston College Investment Club. Um, 120 kids in the room, spoke to them for an hour. I spoke for about 20 minutes and then took questions for about 40 minutes. I came away so impressed by these young people. Who, and I told them that when I was at Boston College, I was not in the investment club. I was not thinking about money in the way that they are. I was not planning for my future in the way that they are. Um, I was so impressed, um, in part because some of the questions that they had for me uh, were about the overall economy. It, it demonstrated a, a depth of thought that uh, really blew me away. But you know, to the two-part episode you just did, you know, uh, one of my closing thoughts to them was, um, you young people have the greatest financial asset imaginable, which is time. Time. You yes. have so much time. So on your holiday list this year, if you don't have an investment account, uh, ask your parents to open one up, buy a couple of shares of a company, a, you know, a, an S&P 500 index fund, an ETF, something, and get that miracle of compounding working now. It, we actually gave a stat on the show, and now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess it up. We gave a, a stat on a previous show. If you start, I mean, it's too late for these kids, um, you know, but if you start when you're literally like your parents do it for you and you invest a thousand dollars by the time you hit retirement age, you've got like a million dollars. It's insane. All right. On that note, we've got to wrap Chris Hill. Thanks so much. 